Alright, you can be seated. Who is Jesus? Uh, 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 I think, uh, uh, I believe he was a person. Um, I'm good. He is the son of God. I don't believe Jesus ever really existed. Son of God. If I have to answer that question, I would say God. Uh, he plays in the wing for Chelsea. If you read the Bible, I don't think I believe in all of that. Everything. <laughs> you can be an idiot, but for me, it's everything. Who is Jesus? To be honest with you, I don't know. I'm not super religious or anything, so. I mean, I guess it's a savior or something. <laughs> Personally, I think that Jesus was probably a really cool dude who lived a long time ago and gave great advice to people, and it snowballed from there. All right. Well, good morning. Welcome to Fellowship Highcrest. My name is Jeremy Wynn, and I have the privilege of being the outreach pastor here at the church. Before we get started this morning, I want to ask, can we all try to scoot in as far as we can? Because we have the Eilert family and the Rickard family, different people. I'd love to be able to get them seats if possible. So if you have open seats, scoot on in, and hopefully we can get some space. But it's good to uh, see just a full house this morning. Oh, we got numbers, we got twos, we got threes, we got some spots, wonderful. Hey, these are the good challenges in life that we're okay to have. Um, So this morning, we are going to start a new series. We've been going over the past 10 weeks, a series titled Living Hope, where Peter has been talking about how we have a living hope in Jesus, even in the midst of suffering and persecution. And now we're going to start a series that's going to lead us up to Easter, and it's titled To the Cross. And and through this series, we're going to be following Jesus to the defining moment in human history. We see from Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, which is where we're going to start this morning, to his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane in Jerusalem. We see Jesus, he's preparing his disciples for the tragedy of his suffering, of his death, and then of his resurrection. And so this morning, we're going to be following Jesus and his disciples in the first act of this journey to the cross. And in the midst of this, we're going to look specifically in this first act how there is resistance to the king. There is resistance to the king. So to start, we need to ask this question, who do we say that Jesus is? And when we look at our culture, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about who Jesus is. Some people could say, oh, yeah, yeah, he's that baby, right? That sweet little baby Jesus in the manger. Some people might say, yeah, he's that, he's that lion. He's out there. He's fierce. He's ferocious. You know, some might say he's, he's the soft, sweet little lamb that just loves and doesn't want to do anything that's going to hurt anybody. And some people say, oh, yeah, he's that ornament. He's kind of that good luck charm that, you know, I have on my neck or I'll pray to when things are wrong. But we need to answer this question who is Jesus? Because if we're going to lead up to Easter and we're saying that this Jesus died on the cross, then we need to know who is this and why is this so important. In our society, you know, we, like I said, we make these false images, but this is the ultimate question that we have to answer because eternity weighs in the balance. And it's a question that none of us can escape. And so ultimately it comes down to it, who is Jesus? Jesus, he's one of three things. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. 
What I mean by liar is there is more evidence that Jesus is a historical person, that Jesus actually walked the earth than George Washington. You can look back at the historical record. There's more evidence that Jesus definitely existed. Okay, so he existed. So he either lied about being the Messiah, and he either lied that he rose again from the third day, and all this is a big lie, or he's a lunatic where he actually believed that he was the Son of God and that he did all these things, but he was actually crazy. He actually didn't know what he was even saying. And most of his followers were lunatics too. Or he's Lord, where he did come to this earth. He did fulfill the prophecies. He did die on the cross, and he did rise again from the third day. And so this morning, we're gonna, when we jump in the passage, we're going to start with Jesus asking this question of, who do you say I am? And we'll see, we'll see how Peter does, because this is Peter earlier in his life. So again, Second Peter, this was at the end of his life when he's saying, yes, there's hope in the midst of suffering. Let's see how he does it earlier in his life. Because Jesus, at this point, in Matthew 16, on page 588, you can turn there. This is the place where Jesus, he's been spending two and a half years with his disciples. He's been teaching and reteaching them. He's been affirming and reaffirming with them. He's been demonstrating and redemonstrating. He's been building and rebuilding the truth of who he was in order to accomplish it completely and securely in the minds of the hearts of the 12 who he was and why he came to be here. So now we get to see how they do understanding who he was. So in Matthew Chapter 16, verse 13. We're going to go 13 through 20 to start. It says this, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that Jesus, the Son of Man, is? Okay? So he's starting a little, little less intense. Let's say, who do, who do people say I am? They say this, Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, But who do you say I am? All right, let's see how they do. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. All right, so far so good. He recognizes Jesus is the Messiah. He is the living God. So we move on. And it says, Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John. Again, that's a sign of showing, hey, you are human. You are a man. You are a son of John. You uh, are part of humanity because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. So he knew this not because of his humanity, but because the father revealed it to him. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. So Simon, his name gets changed to Peter, which means Petros, which is rock. And that means that Peter, it's a symbolism. He's going to be one of the rocks that are going to help build the church, which is us, you and I. But it's not our church. It's God's church. And because it's God's church and because we have Jesus on our side, all the powers of hell will not conquer it. This is good news, right? We see that Jesus is the Messiah. We see that we are God's church. We see that he's a living God. And so we get to move on to more good news. It says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What that means is you have the gospel inside of you. The way to get into the kingdom is to believe that Jesus is your savior, that he's your Lord. So you have the keys of the kingdom, just like all of us. As we have received the gospels, we are equipped with the gospel. We have the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone he was the Messiah. So 
Fellowship's mission, our mission is simple. We want to help people find and follow Jesus Christ. And so we look at this first act with Peter, and we see that Peter, he, he has found Jesus. He recognizes that he is the Messiah, that he has the keys to the kingdom, that the powers of hell cannot withstand what Peter is able to be a part of. He has found Jesus. But now we're going to turn to the second half of what does it mean to follow Jesus. And so again, who will find? So when we're saying, hey, who will we find? Who is this Jesus? This Jesus, he's the Christ, and he's the son of the living God. He is living, he is active, he is powerful, and he is just as living today as he was when he talked to Peter. And this is good news. But then we move to the next verse. And it says, from then on, so from then on, this is the shift in Jesus' uh, ministry. It shifts from him doing teaching and ministering and all this, and now he's shifting to the cross. He's starting the series of events that's going to lead to the cross and ultimately then his resurrection. So it says, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. Okay, at this point, Peter and his disciples are kind of like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, so I liked when we were talking about the kingdom of God, and we're talking about this living hope, and we're talking about having the keys to the kingdom, and winning this battle, and, and even on earth, overflowing the Roman rule, all these things. Like, I'm all for the kingdom, but then I'm starting to hear, you're going to suffer, and you're calling us to suffer with you, and you're going to be persecuted, and you're going to die? I'm not sure how I feel about that. And Peter says this, but Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Okay, so if you're the other disciples there, and you see one of the disciples taking your master aside and about to rebuke him, I just want to be like, Peter, shut your mouth. Like, not now. This is not going to go well. We don't, you don't do this. We've seen you just speak out of, you know, without thinking before. Just, just stop. But they didn't, you know. Passivity, it's killer. And it says this, Heaven forbid, Lord... Peter said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. That language changed quickly, right? Keys of the kingdom, you know, all this, you're, you're the rock, I'm going to build my church upon to now get away from me, Satan. Like this is the same narrative, just a few verses down. So you see Peter, he goes from a rock to a stumbling stone. And isn't that true in our life as well? One day we can be posting on Facebook or talking to people or whatever, and we're all in that rock, and then all of a sudden some suffering or negative news comes our way, and we're like, yeah, I don't know. We can become a stumbling stone. But a beauty of this is that rebuke is not the same as rejection. Okay? Rebuke is not the same as rejection. So Jesus rebukes Peter. He rebukes him clearly. But Jesus is doing this not to say, Peter, that's it. You're done. I've tried. I've tried. You're done. You're rejected. No, he rebukes him because he wants to call him to repentance, to follow Jesus. And he does this out of love 
for Peter and for his soul in the same way that Jesus rebukes us and why we need brothers and sisters in Christ to rebuke us, to call us to something better, to sharpen us. On the flip side, rejection. This is not what Jesus did. He didn't reject because rejection, it gives no hope for restoration. And it leaves us with guilt and shame and isolation. So church, let's, let's, let's not be a church where we reject people, we throw them off, we say, you're never going to make it, you're too far gone. No, no, no. We want to call people to find and follow Jesus Christ. So Jesus, will, he will rebuke those whom he loves so that we can have an authentic and deep relationship as we follow him. All right, let's continue in the story. Let's see what happens. So then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. You must take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Good questions. So we talked about what will you find. We find Jesus. We find Christ. We find this living God. What happens when you follow? You follow a suffering servant. And a suffering servant is someone that Jesus, he came to earth. He, God of the universe, son of God, all these different things. He chose to come to earth knowing that he was going to suffer. That he was going to face being hot, being cold, being tired, being hungry, but even more than that, he was going to be beaten. Beaten to the point, and, and, and have so much stress in him that he literally sweated blood. I've never had that much stress. I doubt you have either. But Jesus was willing to do that because he loved his creation. He loved people and wanted them to follow him. And so Peter and us, we're faced with this dilemma of, okay, I can like Jesus being my savior. I can like the things of the kingdom. I can like being in heaven. I can like the hope and the things that that brings. But Jesus being my Lord, me needing to submit to him, me needing to suffer like he suffered and endure the pain and the shame and the rejection and all that that he took on, that's something that we in this room need to weigh that cost and evaluate we are all in in following Jesus. So there is no crown without the cross. There is no crown without the cross. And you see, the greatest resistance to the cross, it's me. It's you. The greatest resistance to the cross is us because we tend to like Jesus being our Savior, but not our Lord. We tend to like what we can get from God and the things of God as long as it doesn't cost me anything. Or cost me too much. And in our culture, we have this culture of, you know, just do it and have it your way. And um, this instant gratification porn culture where sacrifice, it's foreign and it's not appealing. But in order to follow Jesus and enjoy being a part of the kingdom of God, we must be willing to give up everything that's in front of us. Addictions, we must be willing to give up control, comfort, unhealthy relationships, our time. But here's the reality, is when we lose our life, 
we actually find it and gain everything in Christ. Because all those different things that we feel are easy and instant gratification, they ultimately lead to the path of death, of destruction, of suffering. This path is the path to life, but it's a difficult path. And as Christians, it can be easy for us to talk about the the kingdom of God and finding Jesus and all the positives, and those are all true. We also need to count the cost of following Jesus because there is a cost, but at the end of that cost, we gain everything. And if us in this room, if we all were all in to take up our cross, to follow him, it would change our community and it would spread out and it could change our city and beyond. So now let's look at what are some of the tensions of following Jesus? What are some of the tensions of following Jesus? And so the first one is the self-improved life. So again, going to verse 24, it says, If any one of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. So the self-improved life, that's us at our best, right? That's us when we get that seat upgrade. That's us when we're, you know, working out, getting fit. That's when we are graduating from our courses. That's when we're moving forward and succeeded. And, but this can be a tension of following Christ. Because if we're so focused on ourselves and us getting better, that's not, you must give up your own way. And so the way forward, the way forward is stepping down and letting Jesus be king and not us be king. And I'll admit, for me, what the self-improved life, what that looks like for me, for me, stepping down means me giving up control. And so some examples of that over the last couple years, my wife and I, we've couple things. One, we're in the process of pursuing adoption, and we're excited about that, but we're at a place where we've done everything we can. We've done the home study. God raised $20,000 in a month. I mean, just unbelievable stuff. We're like, praise God. Like, we're at this place, but we have no control over a birth mom choosing us. That's tough. On the other phase, we have been able to be in relationship with different people that have gotten put in the foster care system, and we had one group of kids that asked us to be there and our kin, so non-relation placement. And so we prayed about it, we took them in, and there was a part of me, and I think my wife too, that said, if we just give them a stable home, if we put them in community, if we point them to Jesus, like it'll change it. We kind of had a savior complex of, yeah, we can save these kids. And, and the reality is we couldn't. We don't regret it. We were able to share the gospel, plant seeds, and one of them, unfortunately, is in jail, but he calls us every week, and we've gone and visited him, and we've sent him Christian books that he's reading and everything, and so we were, what, were we faithful? Yes, but that idea of that being a savior and mentality and wanting to control, it's different. This week, we... Um, also had a pair of kids that we've been doing some respite care for, and I, we love this family dearly. I've walked um, alongside one of the kids since he was in second grade, and they got put into foster care. So we started taking them um, on respite, and then we found out they got moved. And so now they're going to be moved probably out of the city, and there's part of Paige and I that's like, well, we should just take them in, and we can help save this and everything. We prayed about it and got some counsel, and people said, no, you can, be, you can be respite, you can be their big brother, big sister, but you can't save them. And God's opening some other things for you to be a part of, and so this is what you need to have. And so, again, good things can turn into idolatry if we want to control things or whatever that is that can consume you as we look at just the self-improved life. So we have to give up our own way. We have to allow Jesus to be our Savior and our Lord. And so my question on this one is, what 
must you give up to follow Jesus? What is it in your mind that you need to give up to follow Jesus? What is God putting on your heart? The second tension is this, the self-preserved life. So this is us at our worst day. So in the middle of fear, of anxiety, of insecurity, of feeling overwhelmed, it says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. You must take up your cross and follow me. So the cross, this was first described in Matthew 10.38, so a little bit before this. But the cross, you know, for now, again, we have different images of the cross, and it's it's kind of almost like a positive figure in some ways, but the cross... When Jesus described it, and what the disciples would have heard of it, it's a picture of a violent, degrading death. Okay, Violent, degrading death. So when Jesus uses this language of take up your cross, like, no, I don't want a violent, degrading death for the lowly. I'd rather be at your right side as we're you know, defeating the Romans and ushering in the kingdom of God and this type of thing. I don't really like this picture of death. And so you know, when we talk about taking up your cross, what does that mean? Simply put, here's what taking up your cross means. It means it's a willingness to pay any price for Christ's sake. Okay, say that again. What does taking up your cross mean? It means this. It means taking up your cross is willing to pay any price for Christ's sake. Okay? So he's calling us to a complete commitment and a willingness to endure shame, embarrassment, reproach, rejection, persecution, and even physical death. And I'm not talking about where we, you know, poke the bear and try to, you know, institute some of this stuff, but being a faithful follower of Jesus, when this comes, are we willing, no matter what, to take up our cross, to be able to follow Jesus? And one of the stories I have is from India. So I was able to go to India uh, in January, and they brought in all the regional leaders from this group called Word for the World. And we heard story after story after story of people Taking, willing to take up their cross and lose everything. So um, Warren Wilson, who's uh, our connections director, is staying up there with a lady named Sabita. And Sabita's story is this. Her husband wasn't able to come to this training because he was beat so badly. He had spinal cord damage and his leg was broken. And so it was because he was sharing the gospel. And some Muslim groups came in, raided, beat him up. But guess what? When she shared her story, it's a story of hope. It's a story of God working in the midst of persecution. It's a story of her saying, I'm willing to take up my cross. I'm not looking for a fight, but if it comes my way, I'm willing to take up my cross. And so she was sharing how she's excited. Next year, I hope to be able to go up to where they're doing ministry and be able to to see what they're doing and be able to, to meet her husband. But it wasn't just the story. It was the joy and the hope in which she shared her story. And I thought, Man, that's, that's amazing. What a blessing. Then our third, our third tension, the self-directed life. We want to be in charge of where we go and how we do it, right? So it says, if anyone wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. And Peter, again, Peter, right? He was someone, he desired power. He, desired to, he was quick to speak. He desired to go his own way. I can relate to Peter a lot in the way that he's wired. But Jesus, he wants us to follow him. And so when we look at the self-directed life, there's a piece of this word that in our culture we don't like. We, we have to submit. We have to submit and we have to trust that, man, I might not totally know where this thing is going, but as long as I'm following Jesus, no matter what happens, I'm willing to take up my cross and I'm willing to not go my own way and I'm going to go where God is calling me to go. And in the midst of losing I'm going to gain 
everything. When I gain everything, obviously there's eternal values, but here in this life, we're going to gain peace. We're going to gain hope. We're going to gain joy. Words that our culture doesn't have. Our culture is wound up. We are, we are anxious. We are fearful. We are fearful people. We are just concerned about what's going to happen and the next calamity and all these things. But, man, if we just follow Jesus and say, whatever comes, I'm going to follow you, man, what peace and joy and hope that can bring. And so as we finish it up, here's where I want to land on. Will you find and follow Jesus Christ? So if you're in this room, and if I were to say to you, who is Jesus? And you're going to say, I, I'm not there yet. I don't know. Hey, I, I want to ask you, wrestle with it. Wrestle with it. Because I 100% believe that Jesus is Lord, Savior, Son of God, all those things. Wrestle with it. Go to a starting point. Get involved in a rooted group. Just be open to this path. Come talk with myself afterwards. Honestly, don't leave here until you find him. So if you're at a place where God's saying, hey, I need to take this next step, find him today. If you're someone that's like, I'm wrestling through this, that's okay. Wrestle through it. Take some next steps to explore who Jesus is because I guarantee you will find him. And if you have found Jesus and you're processing what does it look like to follow Jesus, man, look, at, look at those three different tensions. Look at the, those tensions of that we have the, um, the self-improved life, the self-preserved life, and we have the self-directed life. Say, where, where, which one of those three am I wrestling with that I'm struggling, that I'm holding on to? Maybe it's control. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's uncertainty of the unknown. Whichever one that looks like. Man, just, just circle that on your worship guide and say, God, help me, help me be freed from this tension that's in my life so that I can be all in to follow you. So as we, as we prepare to, to close, you know, we're going to be going through this series of leading up to the cross. And it's going to cause us to examine where are we? Because we're, we're just like the disciples, right? We are quick to wander. We're quick to go from being a rock to a stumbling place. But I'm telling you, this is the greatest journey, the greatest story that's ever been told. And everything hangs in the balance. I'm so excited for us to go through this series and then be able to come together on Easter and to be able to celebrate the risen Lord. Amen? Amen. All right, let me pray for us and then we'll continue to worship. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Man, we thank you just for all the families that you've brought here. We thank you for just this family weekend where we're able to, to celebrate the family. We're able to partner with families as we go on this journey to find and follow you. Father, we, we do thank you that you came to earth so that we could have a relationship with you. You chose to take on humanity. You chose to experience all the, the pain and the junk that we experience every day. And you did it sinlessly. And you endured it. You took up the cross. And you were submissive to your Father. And you completed your mission so that we could have hope in life. Father, whatever those tensions, whatever those roadblocks are in our life, Help us release those, let those go, so that we can find you and that we can follow you with a whole heart. Father, we know that we are broken. We confess that every single day. We mess up, we are incomplete, we are works in process, but we thank you that for those of us that have found you, that we have the Holy Spirit inside us. So it's not, this isn't a message about how can we work harder, this is a a message of how can we surrender more. 
And this is countercultural. Help us go against our culture. Help us go with Scripture and what it says. So, Father, help us be a church that does find and follow you. We pray all this in your name. Amen.